0: Good morning, Summit. Good morning. Woo! How are y'all doing today? That was very nice. That was energetic and jovial. Well, we're so glad that you're here today. If this is your first time, welcome. Um, Merry early Christmas. Um, go ahead and stand with me if you will. Uh, we're going to do a song that, as far as I know, we've never done here, um, but it's a very well-known song, and um, it's Oceans, and uh, I love this song so much. Because I love how it it it's a call to us. Like the Great Commission is a call to us. It calls us to step out in faith, and and so often, at least in my own life, I I can put my faith on a autopilot and just not necessarily go through the motions. But I, I'm not pushing. I'm not striving. I'm not trying to grow. I'm not stretching my faith, and um. Trains going by, <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> so, um, if you would just think about for a minute the last time that you took a step out in faith that was really scary, you know, have you have you done something for Jesus that was really scary? Um, it could just be um, talking to people that you have issues with. That's causes a lot of anxiety, or it could be. Um, serving God in some way. or For me, it was when I started doing foster care because I was just inviting all of this uh, darkness in, all of these children into my house who have experienced some of the worst things. Um, But through stepping out in faith, you really get to see God at work. Um, Go ahead and bow with me in a word of prayer before we begin this morning. Father, I just come to you, God, and I just thank you that, that God, our faith is not stagnant, that you are constantly drawing us to yourself and giving us opportunities, God, to serve you, to glorify you, to build the kingdom. God, I just pray that you give us eyes to see those opportunities. It's easy to see it when it's behind us, but God, let our hearts be attuned to you and attuned to what you've left us here for, and that's making disciples. Accept our worship now this morning, and we love you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.
1: grace abounds in deepest waters your sorrow me
2: singing that song, um, I just was reminded that something that God spoke to my heart this last week. As you guys know, I got a little newborn baby, and um, but she gets real mad, you know, when you're not feeding her right on time. And I was, she was throwing a fit, and I was going to get her bottle. I was like, gosh, if only she just knew that I'm taking care of her. It's going to be okay. I'm going to I'm going to get her a bottle. She don't know that right now, but I'm getting it for her. It's going to be okay. God just spoke to my heart in that moment, and he said, you know, my love for you is the same way. Sometimes when you're wanting something or you're throwing your fit because you can't have it, I'm your heavenly father, and I'm going to take care of you. And that just spoke so much to me that we really do have a heavenly father that loves us, and even bad things, He can work to good. He can work to good. I just wanted to share that this morning because I needed that.
3: There's nothing worth more than And see, all oh, the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your prayer. There's nothing The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leave, the dumb will speak. The praises of the Lamb.
4: Mary, did you know? So your place. Praise you in here this morning, Father. God, we thank you for that perfect, perfect gift that you gave us so many years ago. Thank you, Lord, for showing us, Lord, what true love is. God, we just praise you this morning. We ask, Lord, that you just be with us, Father God. God, be with Pastor Mark as he brings the word. God, we just thank you for this season, Lord. Help us to remember, Lord, that it's about you. It's not about the the hustle and bustle, Lord, and it's not about the gifts. Because, Lord, you gave the perfect, ultimate gift to us. God, we love you this morning. We just praise you and we thank you, Father. For it's in your precious Son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
5: Amen. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Are you ready? Jesus is coming. Shout for joy. Joy is a word we see and hear everywhere at Christmas. Joy to the world is the message of the season. Joy is the theme of this day. Two weeks ago, we lit the prophecy candle and remember those who first spoke the promise of the coming Christ child. Last week, we lit the Bethlehem candle, a symbol of the preparation being made to receive and cradle the Christ child. The third candle of the Advent wreath is called the shepherd's candle. It remembers the first in a long line of people who joyfully share the news of the Savior's birth. This candle is a different color, reminding us that our period of waiting is half over. Three candles burning bright, chasing away the darkness from light. Three candles glowing bright, the blessing of God giving new sight. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord.
6: Hey, this morning, before we, um, before we jump in uh, to uh, the sermon this morning, uh, we're going to have a time of prayer this morning. Uh, Myrtle, would you come on up here and join me this morning? <coughs> Excuse me. Myrtle is going to come here this morning, and for, uh, for a while now, she's put on her connection card and talked about her brother, Devon, who is battling throat cancer. He's in the hospital at UK. And she came to me this morning and asked if we could pray for him and that she would stand in his behalf. And so I said, absolutely we would. And uh, if you've been to Summit uh, at any period of time we've done this, we always uh, just believe it's biblical, what God wants his people to do, which is to pray in agreement together. And so I just want to ask you, if you would, would you just get up out of your seat? We're going to come and we're going to lay hands on Myrtle this morning. And just intercede and lift up her brother today. So would you just get, if anybody that wants to, uh, if you're here for the very first time, you're invited. If uh, you don't have to, but anybody that would want to come. I'm going to move this microphone to make more room. And just gather in there. Go ahead and gather in there. We're going to wait. People are coming. We're going to give all the time we need. And I'm going to lead us in prayer, but as I pray, feel free to lift up your voice in prayer, and let's just go to the Lord. The Lord is a healer. He told us to pray for healing, and we're just praying for His presence, for His power, for Him to move. And so would you just bow your heads and pray with us this morning? And if you're not up here, just would you, by, your, by faith, extend your hands forward, just to say in unison that we agree on this prayer as the people of God uh, this morning by faith. Let's pray. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus. God, we pray for Devon this morning. God, as he is in that hospital room right now at UK, Father, you are with him. God, I pray that he would sense and aware. God, that he would have an awareness of your presence. He would sense your presence and your power right there in that room right now. And Father, we are praying for healing for his body. God, I pray that you would remove the throat cancer from his body, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray for healing. Father, right now, I pray that you would guide doctors and nurses, God, and that you would begin to move in a way, God, that, that, we've, that we've never seen, but know that, God, nothing is impossible for you. Father, I pray for Myrtle. I pray for the entire family, God, that you would protect them from the schemes of the enemy. God, I pray for her brother. You'd protect him from the schemes of the enemy, from doubt from fear. Father, remind them, God, that they are not alone, that you are with them, that they belong to you. God, I pray that you would just move deeply in Devon's life, God, that you would have your way, Father, in this situation. And Father, you told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, that's what we're praying. We're praying that the kingdom would come down in that hospital room. We're praying that healing would come down in that hospital room for power to come down in that hospital room right now. God, as we're here, God, you are here, but God, you're there too. And so, God, I pray, Father, that your presence and your power would move in a manifest way. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. God, for Jesus' glory, for his sake, not ours, God. And we ask all this by faith in the risen Savior. And, God, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said, "Amen." Amen. Amen. well listen if you're if you're here for the very first time uh we're just excited that you're here that you could even be a part of uh, of our prayer time there uh, my name is mark i'm the lead pastor we're excited to have you here with us today and hey listen if you're here uh if you are new we've got a free gift we'd love to give you all you've got to do is uh visit our welcome area After church today, uh, fill out the connection card that's somewhere around you uh, this morning. looks just like this, and we would love to know how we can pray for you. Uh, If you come here every single week, uh, so many of you guys put down prayer requests. Let us know what God's doing in your life, and every week, we don't take it for granted. We respond to every one, and so put that down on this card today, and as the offering baskets go around, towards the end of the service drop those in there Uh, if I can help you pray with you in any way I'll be at the welcome area after church I'd love to connect with you today all right hey we are going to uh, jump in this morning we are in a Christmas series called the in-between learning what it means to live between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus we're waiting for Jesus to come back what's that look like and so today, uh, we are in that series, uh, but I'm going to pray for us. Let's ask God to speak to us today, to wake us up and, God, and, and for God to give us faith to hear this morning. So would you pray with me, Father? I pray that you would come and you'd speak to us. God, you're already at work in this room, and Father, we just want to lean into who you are and to what you're doing. Your presence is here. Your spirit is here. Father, the enemy is defeated. We rebuke the enemy from this room, from our lives. God, in any way that he would try to come against us, Father, he has no place in. Here, God, in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would speak, God, that, that it wouldn't be me. Uh, God, it would be you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, now, I, if, if my, people who know me, uh, my friends and family, just people that know me know that I love movies. Um, in fact, there's one coming out in five days about an intergalactic conflict that I am particularly interested in. And a um, but I love movies. I tell you what I really like about movies though I honestly I like to know what's going on behind the scenes. I, you know when I you know a movie comes out on DVD or I you know things like that, I'm not really interested to watch it again because I want to know the thought process that went into the story. I want to know how shots uh, were made and special effects created. I, I just love to know what happens behind the scenes. you know behind the things that you can see. I want to know what's happening uh, that I can't see. Well, well, that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. This morning, we're going to go behind the scenes of the Christmas story. And not just of the Christmas story, we're going to go behind the scenes of history, but we're going to go behind the scenes of your life and my life. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to go uh, go ahead, open up your Bibles to everybody's favorite book that we love to read at Christmas time the book of Revelation. All right, so go ahead and turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation, uh, and we're going to look at today, we're going to be in two places, but we're going to start in Revelation 12. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up, turn it on. It will be on the screen, uh, but, but you should. I, I prefer you look at it. If you've got something, you can take notes, highlight, or whatever. We're going to dig into this today. Revelation 12, we're going to work through this entire chapter uh, over the span of just a few minutes here this morning. Now, here's one of the things, people, uh, w- that we need to know this morning about the book of Revelation as you're turning there. A lot of times when we think about the book of Revelation, we think that it's all about the future. Uh, But the thing about Revelation is that there is future in there, but it's actually past, present, and future. All three. Past, so there are things that happened in Revelation before there was anything, before even creation. Revelation talks about eternity past. Then it talks about the present. uh, The present that would have been for the original audience and, and even some things in our present day, and then things in the future, things that were in the future for the present audience, they've been fulfilled, then some things in the future that we're still waiting on, we're still waiting for Jesus to come back. So Revelation isn't just about the future, Revelation is about the past, present, and future. And the thing that honestly makes it complicated is that sometimes the book of Revelation will do all three And then it'll bounce back and forth and not let you know that it's doing that in any significant way. In chapter 12, that's what's happening. In chapter 12, you get all three, past, present, and future. Every once in a while, it bounces around, but it pretty much goes just straight through all of history. And if there's an idea before we jump in here this morning that I want you to get, if you don't remember anything else that I say, if I can just give you the whole sermon in three words, it's simply this, that Christmas is war. I want you to remember that this morning. Let's all say it together just to make sure you're awake this morning, all right? Christmas is war. Uh, Revelation 12 is the whole Bible and all of history told from the vantage point of war. And so let's, let's look at it here. Let's read the first four verses. It says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and in the agony, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. Now, let's stop right there. So so in Revelation 12, there's a woman and a dragon. And the woman changes identity three times. So as we go through this chapter, we're going to see that the woman is actually three different people. The red dragon is the same all the way through. Who's the red dragon? The red dragon is the devil. The red dragon is Satan. The reason that we know that is, just really quickly, verse 9 actually says that the red dragon is Satan, the devil, the one who's been at work. He's the deceiver of the world. So the red dragon is the devil. He's going to be the same all the way through. The woman changes. Who is the woman when this chapter first starts? The woman that's at the very front of Revelation 12 is Israel. The way that we know it's Israel, again, look at the first verse. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and a moon under her feet. And on her head, watch this, a crown of 12 stars. Think about Israel, there were 12 tribes of Israel. So this is symbolic language talking about the people, the nation of Israel. And the idea is that the devil was in the Old Testament the entire time trying to take out God's people. Here's some things you need to know about the devil. And it actually says it there there in verse 3. The, again, this is symbolic language. The devil doesn't have seven heads. But, the, but John is trying to get us to learn something here. So watch this. When it says, says some things we need to lo- learn about the devil, the devil has, it says, seven heads. That means he's got wisdom. Ten horns, that means he's got strength. And on his head, seven diadems. That means that the devil has the ability to influence people. Now here's the thing you need to know. The devil is not the same thing as God, all right? So the devil and God are not on equal playing grounds. It's not like the devil and God are in this eternal boxing match and sometimes God lands a punch, sometimes the devil lands a punch. No, the Bible actually says in Isaiah and other places that the devil was actually an angel. And and one day he was, at one point, he was apparently filled with pride and tried to overthrow God. He literally wanted to take the place of God and be God over all creation. He was so filled with pride, you know, you talk about how the devil can influence people. If we look at verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Stop right there. What that means is when Satan attempted to overthrow heaven, Satan was actually able to deceive a third of the angels. And so a third of the angels that were made by God to worship God, they're deceived by the devil. They join the devil's side and they join in this overthrow. But you know that the devil is not as strong as God because the devil couldn't deceive all of the angels, but he does deceive a third of them. And so a third of the angels, they they join up with the devil and now they would be demonic powers and Principalities, And so here's the devil trying to take out the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Look at the rest of verse 4. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Stop right there. Now the woman has changed. Who is the woman now? The woman is Mary. Look at the next verse. She gives birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Verse 5 is the entire life of Jesus wrapped up in one verse. And we know that the woman is Mary and it's talking about giving birth to Jesus because Isaiah says that Jesus would come and he would rule the nations with a rod of iron. So John is telling us here this is, a, this, this is about Mary giving birth to, to Jesus, So here's the devil in the Old Testament trying to take out Israel. He couldn't do it. Jesus, God was skin on about to come into the world. This is the, one of the most significant things that God has ever done. The devil was at the Christmas story. The devil was right there trying to stop the birth of Jesus. I mean, if you know the story of the birth of Jesus, think about what Herod did. Remember what I'm talking about? When the wise men tell Herod that a new king's been born, what's the, what does Herod do? He demands that every single male child, two years old and under in Bethlehem, be killed. I mean, demonic, satanic, he's under the control of the devil. The devil's able to influence Herod. So there's the devil trying to stop the birth of Jesus, but he can't stop it. Jesus is born, lives, dies, comes back, to, uh, comes back from the dead three days later, ascends to the right hand of God so that right now he's on his throne. Verse 6, and the woman fled into the wilderness. Where she, was, uh, where, where she has a place prepared by God in which she's to be nourished for 1,260 days. Don't get caught up in what that 1,260 days mean. There's all kinds of different ways that the Bible uses that number. People have different opinions. We can talk about it, but if you get caught up in what that means, you'll miss the main point. The main point was that God protected the woman, God protected Mary, God protected Jesus. But at the moment that Jesus was born, now John's really going to take us behind the scenes. At the moment Jesus was born, something happens in the heavenly realms that changes everything. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them, for the devil and his angels. There was no longer any place for the devil and his angels in heaven and the great dragon was thrown watch this down. Isn't that one of the things we've said in this series? God wa- God wasn't waiting on us to come up. God came where? Down. That's what we've said in this series every week. God comes down. Now God has taken the devil and thrown him down. Down to where? Let's read. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to what? The earth, right here. Satan was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. I mean, one of the things we've said almost every single week in this series is heaven and earth are closer than we think. Heaven and earth don't look like this. Separated heaven and earth overlap. They look like this. So, this, so Satan is not in hell. Demons are not in hell waiting for people to join them. Paul says in the book of, the, of, of Ephesians that Satan is the ruler of the air. Which air? This air. This realm, Satan has been thrown down to earth right here. Uh, If you know the story of the book of Job, remember in Job when Satan is in the throne room of God and he's accusing Job before God saying the only reason he worships you is because you give him stuff. Satan's right there in, in heaven. Satan is right in heaven in God's throne room. You never read about that happening again. The reason you never read about that happening again, Satan in the throne room of God, is because at the birth of Jesus, Satan is cast out. Him and all of the powers and principalities that followed him, they are thrown down to earth. Satan is delivered. The birth of Jesus for the devil was just this death blow from God saying that the enemy has lost If the devil was going to beat God, destroy the purposes of God, he was going to have to stop Jesus from coming into the world, and he couldn't do it. So Christmas shows the defeat of the enemy. But listen, the devil's not done. So now you get this. Let's continue to read. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. So so heaven rejoices. Everyone in heaven right now rejoices. The devil is defeated. But what about us who are on earth? Let's look at the rest of it. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. The devil knows that his time is short. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman. Now the woman has changed. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The idea is that whoever this woman is, we'll, say, we'll see it in a second, God's protecting this woman as well, but she's still going to walk through some persecution. She's in a battle right now. Verse, uh, verse 15, The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth, swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war, watch this, on the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand and on the sea. The devil is cast out of heaven. He's thrown down here to earth. The devil instantly knows that he can't hurt God. The devil instantly knows that he can't tempt God. And so now all of a sudden the woman changes and the devil goes after who? The devil goes after who? Who is the last woman? It's in verse 17. The woman is the people who are on earth. Who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who is that? It's us. It's you and me. It's the church. Started with Israel, the devil couldn't stop God's purpose. Went to Jesus, the devil couldn't stop God's purpose. The devil has been defeated. The devil knows that there's no way he can hurt or tempt God, but he knows he can hurt you. The devil knows he can tempt you. And so the devil turns all of his focus away from God and Jesus and the Spirit and puts it all on the church. We are the woman there at the end. And so this is the entire Bible told from the viewpoint of war. This is all of history told from the viewpoint of war. This is your life from the vantage point of war. I mean, here we are at Christmas. We're, We're celebrating the fact that Jesus came. Well, here's the question. Why did Jesus come? And the answer is, we say it all the time, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Of course Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's absolutely right. But let's, look at what 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says about why Jesus came. The reason the Son of Man came was to destroy the works of the devil. Every year at this time, people say we need to remember this, the reason for the season, and we need to remember the reason for the season, summit. And the reason for the season is that Christmas is war. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And the devil has been defeated, but he still fights, and we are in battle with him right now. And listen, when the devil fights, the devil fights hard. Anybody amen? So what do we do? Oh, we're waiting for Jesus to come back. We, at Christmas, we remember that he came once. We're we're living in the in-between times. So what do we do? We we need to see what John and what God is trying to tell us here in this chapter. So I think there's three things that you and I need to see that that Christmas would remind us of uh, this year. And here's the first one if you're taking notes. First thing we got to see is this, that we are at war. That you and I, the church, if you're a follower of Jesus, doesn't matter how young, how old, if you say that you're a Christian, then you are at war. We are a people... Who are at war. Have you ever talked to somebody who's literally been to war? I mean, they, they, they've been in combat. They served military. They served our country. You know, maybe Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan. Have you ever talked to somebody that's, that's been in war and heard their stories? Listen, they have seen things. They have experienced things that, that those of us who have never been there, we can't even begin to imagine it. Hello? We can't even begin to imagine. I mean, we can hear their stories, but we can't even imagine what that is like. I mean, I mean living at war is just totally different from living at peace. Peacetime living and wartime living are totally different. When you're at war, war brings with it a sense of urgency. When you're at peace, you don't have to be urgent. I mean, countries and nations who are at war, it changes everything. It changes the posture of that country. Changes the way that country spends money. War just changes things. Wartime living is different than peacetime living. Listen, the story of the Bible is the story of a war. I mean, there was a war in the heavenlies before God even brought creation to existence. The entire Old Testament, God's at war with idols. God's at war with gods that people have made from all kinds of different nations and countries. Jesus comes. Jesus' whole life and ministry was war. He's baptized, comes up out of the water, the Spirit takes Jesus into the wilderness. And, and when Jesus is in the wilderness with the devil, it is literally the Garden of Eden, round two. And, and what Adam failed at, Jesus succeeded at. This is exactly why. The Apostle Paul, I don't know if you've ever caught this. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. Because Jesus was able to do what Adam couldn't do. Obey God Faithfully, Jesus comes out of the wilderness after defeating the devil and he drives out demons from all kinds of people from the rest of his ministry. Jesus is a man at war. The way the Bible describes what it's like to be a Christian, the Bible describes Christianity like it's a war. Uh, Paul tells Timothy to be a soldier in the faith. Paul tells us to put on the armor of God because we're fighting not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of the devil in this present darkness the powers in the air of this world that we live in and and the bible just constantly pushes on us this idea that listen if you think following jesus is a cakewalk you're in for something else there's a reason why i talk to people and they say something like this mark i got saved and my life got harder not easier hello mark i'm following jesus and it seems like like everything is breaking loose in my life why because it has because to be a Christian is to be a man or a woman at war. I love the way Peter puts it. Well, let's spend the rest of the morning right here. 1 Peter 5:8. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open it up, turn it on, turn it over to that. So we're out of Revelation. Let's focus right here on this small verse. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I love this verse. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. See, one of the things about being at war is war clearly defines who your enemy is. And our enemy right here, I mean, it's in Revelation 12, all over the Bible right here, 1 Peter 5 8, Our enemy is the devil. Now, I don't know what you think about the devil. We have a hard time thinking about the devil. Honestly, we don't think about this spiritual warfare idea, the powers and principalities. The devil, we don't think about it enough. We have a hard time with this because a lot of us, when we think about the devil, what do we think? Like a really skinny, goofy-looking dude in a red jumpsuit, right, with a tail and a pitchfork. You know, you've seen him on cartoons, right? And and the devil's something we don't take a lot of, uh, we don't take really seriously. We don't think about the devil a lot. or, Or if we do, we get that cartoon image in our head. When Jesus talked about the devil, Jesus said that the devil was a liar, a thief, and a murderer. Jesus took the devil seriously. Jesus believed in the devil. Let me ask you a question. Answer this to yourself. Do you believe in the devil? Now I'm looking around. I see a lot of familiar faces. So I suspect that there's a lot of yeses in the room. So let me ask this. Would the way that you pray show that you actually believe in the devil? If you're a parent, grandparent, guardian, you got kids in your life, would the way that you pray for the kids in your life show that you believe that the biggest fight they're going to face is against the powers and principalities of hell? Here's a, way to ask, here's a question to ask to really show if you believe in, the, uh, believe in the devil. Who's your enemy? Because our enemy doesn't have flesh and blood. Our enemy is the devil. And our, and our enemy is clearly defined. Again, this is hard. One of the reasons this war and the devil, it's hard for us as, as, as Westerners, as Americans, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it because we can't see him. We can't see this War. That's why. That's why. One of my favorite lines in the best Christian movie that's ever been made, The Matrix. Um, where that's actually not a Christian movie, so don't don't have a Bible study around it. Um, but it is my favorite Christian movie. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, the Morpheus, asks Keanu Reeves, Neo. He asks him this question. I love this question. I wish Christians would really think about this question. He looks at him, and there's a scene in the movie where Morpheus asks Neo, Neo, what is You ever thought about that? What is reality? God wants you to know today, this war that you can't see is reality. That the devil that you can't see is reality. We need to let the Bible define reality. And here's the thing. The devil is not going to tempt you and come at you with spinning heads and projectile vomit and tempting you to uh, sacrifice kittens and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, The devil is not going to come at you. Now, he might. He might, maybe, all right? All right, I don't know. But that's not his usual mode of operation. That's not the way the devil typically works in this war. Do you know how the devil typically works in this war? Here's the devil's biggest scheme in this war. The devil, to win the war, wants to get you drunk. That's all he wants to do. He just wants you to get drunk. Again, 1 Peter 5.8, look at it, 1 Peter 5.8. Be what? Sober-minded. You see that? Be sober-minded. What's the opposite of sober? Drunk. Have you ever been drunk? Ah, oh, now, come on now, something. I think you're, halo. Hey, I asked that in the 9.30, and all of a sudden they're like, no, all we do is pray and read the word of the Lord, right? Come on now. Come on, I, no, listen, maybe not true for everybody, but I know some of y'all, all right? You ever been drunk? Think about it. Listen, uh, the thing about being drunk is when you're drunk, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just telling you what I've heard. I'm too busy praying for you, you know. But, but I've heard that when you get drunk, you know, your, your speech gets slurred. It slows down your response time. Listen, when you're drunk, you can forget who you are. You forget where you are. I asked a couple of guys in our church who are police officers, and I I, I made sure that I asked them this when they weren't together, so I asked them separately so they wouldn't know what the other one said. I said, how many times have you guys pulled over somebody for drunk driving, and when you asked them, have you been drinking tonight, they instantly said, yes, officer, I'm, I'm, I'm hammered. And they just openly admitted it. How many times has that happened to you? Both of them separately had the exact same answer. They both said they pulled tons of people over, for drunk driving, and each of them had literally only had one person look at them and say, yeah, I've had a little too much to drink tonight. Every single other person they have ever pulled over for suspected drunk driving has looked at them and said, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm driving all over the officer. Listen, I am good to go. They said everybody always denies it. Everybody is convinced, here's the thing, watch this, everybody is convinced that they're not. See, apparently, you can be drunk and not know it. When, Paul, when Peter, rather, says, be sober-minded, this book, 1 Peter, we're going to go through it next year. 1 Peter is written to a group of Christians, and they're being persecuted. The idea behind 1 Peter is that you're aliens in the world, you're strangers in the world. This world is not our home. And so Peter's getting the idea that these Christians are getting a little too comfortable in the world. They're getting drunk on the world. And Peter says, listen, y'all need to be sober-minded. Y'all need to sober up and remember that you're children of God, this world in your home. When we say that the devil wants to get you drunk, we don't literally mean alcohol. What we mean is the devil wants to get you drunk on the world. The, The devil wants to so cloud your judgment with this, present world with what you can see, taste, and touch, and just to be filled with things in this life that you forget who you are, you forget whose you are, and what it leads to is you're just going through this world, and maybe you come to church every single week, but you are drunk. devil has all kinds of different ways to do that. One is the devil will try to do this by getting you just to focus on anything and everything right here in this life. Biggest thing happening in your world is, is when the next season of something drops on Netflix. What you're getting for Christmas, what you're giving for Christmas, what's happening at work, what's happening at school, about the next practice. Did you see what so-and-so put on Facebook? Just caught up with things in this life and no perspective at all of anything with eternity. And maybe you hear that and you think, well, listen, Mark, what in the world's wrong with those things? What in the world's wrong with the job and, and practice and all of those things? Here's the thing, and this is why the devil is so effective in and of themselves. Nothing is wrong with that. Nothing is wrong with those things. But if the devil can get you to be so focused on things right here in this life and you sprinkle in a little church with it, he's fine. Listen, the devil is fine with you coming to church every single Sunday as long as you don't do anything with what we're talking about. Hello? The devil is fine with you taking notes about all kinds of things and lifting your hands as long as it doesn't change the way you live out there. Right? The devil is fine with you coming to church and being a part and serving. As long as you're drunk and convinced that the biggest thing happening is what you can see rather than the spiritual realm that you can't see. Another way the enemy will try to get you drunk and forget who you are and who you belong to. The devil will convince you that who you are in Christ might be true for somebody else, but it's not true for you. So he'll try to talk you out of believing your identity as a child of God. Listen, God loves them, not you. God can't forgive you. A real Christian would never struggle with that. And on and on and on. You're just condemned and caught up with things in your past. And you're more concerned with the struggles and sins in your life than you are with the blood of Jesus that's cleansed you from all of it. And you just walk around all the time with guilt and fear and shame. And what the devil has done is he's just made us drunk on the world. Or here's a really good tactic that the enemy loves to use. The enemy will make us drunk on the world by trying to convince us that our enemy is anyone other than him. So my enemy goes to the 930. That's why I started coming to the 1115, because I hate them. Right? They're just judgmental. They're not filled with the Spirit. They're probably not even saved. Not that we would ever judge anybody. Hello? Amen? Right, right. We would never do that. But those people over there, they're really judgmental. Not that we're judging in that very moment. Right? There's my enemy at Walmart. I need to cut down this aisle. What do you need from that aisle? Nothing, but they're my enemy. I'm going to avoid them. Listen, the, de- the devil has all kinds of different ways to do this. Maybe he's getting you to justify some sin that you know God says it's not, it's not good for you. You know the word of God speaks against it, but the devil's ju- got you to justify that it's okay for you. He's got all kinds of different ways and schemes. What they all have in common is that they make us all drunk. We forget who we belong to. We forget what Jesus has done for us. The devil wants to deceive us. The devil wants to lie to us. These are all of the things that he uses. Why? Because we are at war. Do you know that this morning? Have you forgotten that we are at war? So what do we do? So if we're at war with the powers and principalities of darkness, what do we do? 1 Peter 5, 9 gives us our answer. Look at it. Resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So we are at war. What do we do in this war until Jesus comes? Here it is. We resist. That's what we do. We resist, as Peter says. Or the way Paul says it in Ephesians 6, we stand. We stand. Listen, a superficial faith is not going to cut it in this war. Because when suffering comes, the way that Peter's talking about here, when suffering comes and the devil tells you if God really loved you, he wouldn't let you suffer like that, a superficial faith is going to listen to that, be knocked out, and just become a casualty of the war. See, Jesus has fought The devil. We don't fight the devil. Jesus has fought the enemy. Jesus has defeated the enemy. What we do is we resist the enemy by standing in the finished work of Jesus. We stand firm in our faith in what Jesus has done for us and who we are. We resist and we stand on what Jesus has done. So, so we, we resist. So instead of listening to the lies of the enemy that tell us everything in this world, this is all that it is, this is as good as it gets, we resist because we know we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Instead of listening to the lies of the enemy in the world that tell us that the world is always going to be this way, hazard can't change, eastern Kentucky, there's no future in it, we refuse to believe that lie and we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We resist. Instead of listening to the enemy's lies, that we're not the children of God, that God doesn't love us the way that he loves other people or the way that he talks about here, we claim the promises of God. We stand on the word of God. We resist the enemy. Jesus has won the war. In Christ, we are victorious. And until Jesus comes, we resist. Have you ever seen this show, um intervention have you ever seen that show you know what i'm talking about if you've never seen the show intervention the way that that show works is there's somebody who's got some addiction issues in their life drugs alcohol just some kind of addiction issue in their life and their family has reached out to this show their family's reached out to the show asking them to come and try to help their loved one their friend their family member and so so this person doesn't even know it they think they're simply a part of a documentary about addiction but they have no idea that everything is leading to this moment where they're going to be in a hotel room or some kind of meeting room with all of their friends and family there. And they've each written a note about how much they love this person. And they're praying that this person would sober up, would would get clean, would just realize how their addiction is destroying them. It's an intervention where just everything steps in to realize, to, to say to them, you got to realize what's going on, what's at stake around you. And and here's the thing. I've been praying that today would be an intervention for some of us. I've been praying that today would be an intervention because maybe you're here and you've forgotten that you're at war. Maybe you're here today and you've started to live like it's a time of peace when really it's a time of war, like there's no urgency in your relationship with Jesus. There's no urgency in your prayer. There's no urgency when it comes to standing against temptation and sin. I've been praying that today will be an intervention because maybe you're here and somewhere along the way you've adopted this view that christianity is all about going to heaven when you die and there's no commitment in it no sacrifice in it no love for jesus and following him in it and today the spirit of god is just whispering to you saying you got to wake up jesus has saved you for more not waiting to go to heaven the spirit has come down he lives inside of you he wants to get he wants you to get off the sidelines and end of the game, God literally wants to bring the kingdom through your life. Maybe you're here today, and today needs to be an intervention because you are running from God right now. You are convinced that you are in something that nobody knows about. It's not going to hurt you, and it's never going to see the light of day, and you're going to get away with it. But what you need to realize is that nobody else in your life might know about it, but God knows it all. And God sees it all. And you are being pursued right now by the love of your heavenly Father drawing you out of darkness and in the light. You need to wake up because you're drunk. Or you're not here today. You're here today. And you're a child of God, but you are so filled with guilt. You are so filled with fear. You are so filled with shame. That, you, that you've forgotten who God says you are. You're not walking in the confidence and the assurance that you're a son or a daughter of God. And the Spirit is just whispering to you right now that you are at war and Jesus is wanted. Listen, I don't know how the enemy is coming to you. I don't know what the Spirit is saying to you this morning. But here's what I know for every teenager. You are at war today. Here's what I know for every man in this room today, you're at war. For every woman in this room today, you you are at war and, and you can't maybe see your enemy. You can't maybe see the war. But there are moments when you can feel it breaking through. But listen, just because you can't see it, we need to let the Bible define reality. And we need to let God tell us this morning, we need to let Christmas remind us that Jesus has come and that he has won the battle. And until he comes, the enemy is going to fight, but we don't have to fight the enemy. Jesus has done it for us. We need to stand firm in the finished work of Jesus. We need to stand firm, filled with the Spirit, in the finished work of Jesus. And so if you're here today and the Spirit of God is stirring something up inside of you, the Spirit of God is calling you to wake up, ask Jesus. Don't just hope that it passes and then leave this service and then go off to life like nothing's at stake. Let's go, to the, let's go to God today and ask God to remind us as a church that we are a people at war. Did you pray with me today? God, I don't know how this lands on us, but we need to be reminded today that there, that there are things on the line. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Jesus, you came down. And it is so easy. The enemy would love for us to go through life as if nothing's at stake. The enemy would love for us to come to church every week, sing some songs, and wait to go to heaven without pressing in for the kingdom for our school, without pressing in for the kingdom for our city, for our kids, for our spouse, for our families. The the enemy would love for us to be so caught up with this world that we forget who we are. And God, today, we need to be sober-minded. We need to be alert because the enemy is a liar, a deceiver, and a murderer. And there are people in this room right now that he wants to devour. So Father, right now in Jesus' name, I'm praying that you would wake up your sons and daughters. God, I pray that you would wake us up This morning, Right now, just with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you're here and the Spirit of God is speaking to you, you, and that's your prayer today, your prayer today is just simply, God, I need you to wake me up and remind me that we are at war. If that's you, would you just put your hand up right now? That I've forgotten this. I'm just kind of coasting, going through the motions. There's hands up right over here. Anyone else? There's another one right there. I'm just kind of living in neutral. Just kind of going through the motions as if nothing's at stake. God, remind me that everything's at stake. God, remind me that life matters. God, remind me that this is real. You might be here today, and and you just come in today just feeling the effects of this war, feeling the effect of temptation, feeling the weight of that sin that you've just been struggling with. And maybe you're here today, and the the enemy's got you convinced that, that you can't break free from it. It's been there for too long. And right now, just the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in your prayer this morning. is, God, would you just help me to break free from this thing that I feel like I'm in bondage to. If that's you and you're just praying for freedom over an issue, over a temptation this morning or sin, would you just put your hand up so we can pray for you this morning? Anybody in the room say, that's me today. That's praying for breakthrough, praying for freedom from God in a specific area. Amen. Amen. But listen, you cannot fight this battle without Jesus alive inside of you. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus for the very first time? Listen, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, God loves you and God wants a relationship with you. And if you're here today and you want to be saved, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, have all of your sins forgiven, your, your past washed away, your present made new and get a purpose and hope, for the future you want Jesus in your life I want to invite you just to pray this prayer with me today say dear Lord Jesus forgive me for my sin come into my life and save me today God I give my life to you right now for the very first time thank you for loving me thank you for dying for me and coming back from the dead for me Jesus help me to follow you starting right now and Father I pray for the rest of us God as this service God, as we move into a time of giving, God, that you would help us not to walk away from what you are telling us this morning. That God, we're at war. Jesus, you've won it, but we're still in it. And you're going to bring us safely to to you. You're going to bring us safely home. But God, every day, would you just help us as a church to begin to stand, to begin to resist firm in our faith. Father, we love you. We ask us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Right now we're going to.